previously on Fearless. We went from, from having an entire semester of travel and just like good stuff planned to being canceled in like literally three or four days. That was one of those moments where it sort of slapped you in the face and you're like, okay, wow, this is real. The difference with this was the scale. Nobody knows when coronavirus will truly be in the rearview mirror. America is done with COVID, but the virus isn't done with America. What is Texas Tech? It's a community of people that love this school and they had experiences that changed their lives. In this episode, we enter the world of sports, how lost seasons affected futures of student athletes and their eligibility, and the devastating financial impact of those canceled seasons on the budget for athletics. We dig in to share stories of Red Raider teams spread out across the globe, from Honolulu, Hawaii, and Kansas City, Missouri, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and more. As the country faced an impending shutdown, what it meant for us all. This is episode two, bottom line. Many of us identify March 11th as the beginning of the COVID-19 fallout, especially as it relates to the world of sports. And that's where we begin this episode. The stories you'll hear in these initial moments happen over the span of around 24 hours. That's how quickly universities and the NCAA were forced to move to make decisions that would have massive ramifications over the next several years. At the time COVID put an end to sports, three programs on campus were ranked in the top 25. Two in the top three. On a go-ahead double from Braxton Fulford. As we go back to that day, we begin in Kansas City, the home of the Big 12 basketball tournament. and one from the corner. Miller drives it anyway and gets to the bucket. College basketball fans will say there are few things more exciting than March Madness. The Texas Tech men's team had just made its first appearance in the Final Four, and the city of Lubbock was hopeful to witness another deep run in the postseason. Four men's teams saw the court on that first day of the Big 12 tournament. Six seconds, Lewis didn't get it off. Oklahoma State comes from 10 down in the second half. And a valiant comeback by TCU falls just short. But the women, who were scheduled to begin two days after the men, would never get their chance. Things in the typically alive and vibrant Kansas City were starting to dim. And on the national stage, threads were unraveling even more quickly. You know, I remember that, that night I went to dinner in Kansas City actually with uh, Dusty and Leisha Womble. This is athletics director, Kirby Hocutt. I remember on the televisions in the restaurant, the NBA games were on, and that's when the th you know Oklahoma City, the Thunder game, uh, was canceled before tip-off, and that was uh, really the start of what is going on here. A discussion and a delay here in Oklahoma City. You said the game's not even starting. Oh, they're saying that Rudy Gobert and several other players may have been ill. As soon as we get any kind of information, we will certainly pass it along. The, the game playoffs. tonight has been postponed. The next day, on March 12th, things intensified. Just hours before tip-off between Texas Tech and the University of Texas, Kirby was in a meeting with other ADs in the conference. Right then, the Kansas Medical Advisory Group had advised that uh, we cancel the tournament. And I remember stepping away and calling 
Tony Hernandez, our deputy athletics director. That Where was he at? He was at the Sprint Arena uh, with the team for tip-off. He jumped in an Uber with the athletics director from Texas. I went to our locker room. He went to his locker room. By the time he arrived in the locker room, the team had already known, and their disappointment was obvious. Mark Adams was in that locker room. He's the head coach now, but that year he was an assistant. I think the thing that hit home with me the most is I remember uh, Davide Moretti, uh, Italy, you know, this, this COVID hit in stages, and, and Italy was getting hit really hard by it. And, and I could just see the worry and hurt in, in Davide. So I, I went into Coach Beard's private locker room there, and, you know, we, we talked for a few minutes. And I remember his daughter, Avery, who was a freshman at Columbia at the time, she was uh, in his locker room. She was sitting in a, a chair. And I, I said, Avery, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm in class. And I said, well, let me see. And she turned around, and I saw the chair with the professor. Little did I know that was a glimpse into what our world was going to be. By this point, the NBA had indefinitely suspended its season. And that was a blaring statement. Teams were feeling conflicted. Would their games, practices, or tournaments continue? Alerts were being issued almost by the minute. We all remember the constant buzz of notifications from virtually every news and sports platform available. Leagues announcing cancellations, tournaments being called off, sports for the foreseeable future were beginning to crumble. In Phoenix, Arizona, men's golf coach Greg Sands and his team were trying to remain optimistic. They had just arrived at the Grand Canyon University course for a practice round. Uh, my name is Sandy Scott and I'm a senior here at Texas Tech. Sandy is a staple of that team. His list of accomplishments is beyond impressive. He had real hopes and expectations of his team doing something special that season. They were set up for it. Yeah, I mean, we, we got off to a really nice start. At the we met with Sandy in the clubhouse of the Rawls course, just northwest of campus. And coming into the spring, we were, you know, really confident that we could push for a national championship title. And It's his home course, here in the States at least. Lepic has been home for the Scotland native for five years. And if you listen closely, you can hear golf on the TV behind us, or men meeting for an early lunch inside before heading out for an afternoon round. While we were traveling there, the whole NBA stuff was going on. We were watching on TV, and we were like, oh man, this is crazy. We get onto the range for our practice round, and we hear rumors that two or three teams have already pulled out because their ADs have pulled them back to the universities. We start the practice round, and I think on like the second hole, the coaches told us the tournament was canceled, so we were pretty much just playing for fun then. He couldn't know it then, but that would be the last time they'd play together that season. So we're like, okay, that kind of sucks. Then we finished the practice round, and our season was over all of a sudden. So it was all within like 24 hours um, that we were kind of told that it was, you know, from go to nothing almost. So it was really strange. We are living our best lives in Hawaii. We are not aware of the severity of COVID at this time. This is Brooke Reed, director of operations for the softball program. By the way, she was not kidding. They were actually playing in a tournament hosted by the University of Hawaii. Now, it's hard to list all the things she does in a day. There's too much. She accurately describes herself as the catch-all the mediator between her team and academics, the business office, compliance. She also coordinates travel. Like I said, it's a lot. Okay, back to Brooke. The, game. the 11th, yeah, I think it was the 11th. Um, 
we played against Hawaii, which was a great game, won that game. And then we still had four more games scheduled throughout the week. Their coach got a call from administration. It was not good news. The players and staff sought answers and got them from the same place the rest of us probably did, social media. And then we get the news via like Twitter, social media, that things have been shut down. Their return flights had already been booked. Because we still had another four days in Hawaii, but the flight options, we could not get us all back. So they kept their original flights and spent the next three days in paradise. Then once we get back, we were like, oh, this is real. Like, this is real, real. All right, uh, my name is Calvin Robinson. I am the uh, men's and women's sprint and hurdle coach here at Texas Tech. Um, coach Robinson has been here at Tech for about six years. Everyone calls him Coach Rob, so I'll do the same here. So let's, are you ready to go back? Yeah, if you want to remind me, and we, we can definitely go back. We were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, getting ready to start the NCAA Division I National Championships for indoor track and field. Track is split up into two seasons. The indoor season runs from January to mid-March, the outdoor season in the spring from April to mid-June. Six months before Coach Rob's group showed up at the indoor championship, the men's track team hoisted its first ever outdoor national championship trophy in 2019. So this meet, the indoor championship, it's important for this team. It was going to keep their program nationally relevant to validate them across the country. This meet is the best of the best. James out fast. We always describe the indoor championships as the toughest meet to qualify for. Indoor, you have to be the top 16 in the country of all Division One. 16 athletes in the entire country go in each event. It is a game changer. 16 Texas Tech athletes had qualified for the men and women together. Three qualifiers in the men's 200 alone, that is impressive. And then we're seeing tweets, the Big Ten is pulling out, the Pac-12 would, and then any Ivy League schools were no longer going to come. So the day before the meet started, events played out like a bad movie. And Kaylee Hinton remembers almost every detail. She was there at the indoor championship for the very first time. I was in my hotel room putting on my tennis shoes. Coach Thomas told the jumps group to meet down in the lobby within five minutes. I could kind of tell something was off. Coach Kitley's pacing, they let us know the meet's canceled and we're going home. And I just walked away and went to the hotel bathroom and just started crying. I was just so frustrated. Like, why is it this the first time I get this opportunity and it was taken from us? The first person I told, because she was right next to me, I remember, was Gabby McDonald. And if anybody knows Gabby's story, that was a big opportunity for her. Um, she had transferred in here, struggled at her previous university, had never qualified for nationals as an individual. Um, and she had a phenomenal first year here um, indoor. And, you know, she'd gone in, ranked fairly high in her event and was hoping to come out of that thing an All-American. And she was the first one that I had to tell. And it was probably one of the toughest days because you have to tell these athletes who've worked so hard that. Gabby lost a lot that day. They all did. There are so many stories of how these student athletes end up here, but they share a lot of the same goals. And to make it to this meet is an extraordinary feat. Being there was a long time coming for Kaylee. She had finished 17th or 18th so many times in the past, just one spot off qualifying, a matter of a few simple points. So this was about proving something, more to herself than anyone else, but that's why it was so hard for her to get past. I'd say hopeless. It was hopeless. I, ne I never stopped caring, but um, 
and I'm not a negative person and I can always see the bright side in things, but I felt very hopeless. Around the same time the track team was delivering the news to its athletes, Kirby Hocutt was standing before most of his head coaches in a room on the south side of the football stadium. And I remember the sitting in the JT King conference room and looking over to, you know, at the faces of our head coaches. And I'll never forget Tim Tadlock sitting along the right, the right side of that room against the wall, head just in his hands and just devastated. Coach Tadlock and the baseball team were just off an appearance in the College World Series the year before. In 2020, they had maintained a top 10 ranking all season. They were talented and deep, something that could make all the difference late in the season. You know, he, he knew he had a team that could have competed for the national championship. Teams had made their way back home, but the shuffling wasn't over by a long shot. Hundreds of student-athletes were now making plans to head home, some in Texas, others across the United States, and some beyond. Among the 17 sports, there were dozens of international student-athletes in the spring of 2020. Two lived outside the continental U.S., now, in a global level four travel advisory, the pressure was on for these individuals to get home, if that's where they were headed. And Sandy Scott was one of them. His family was waiting for him in Scotland. Our country back home were starting to tighten up on their restrictions and stuff. And, you know, all the international guys were wondering if they were going to get home in time um, before they locked down the country. So that was a big worry. Not too long after I got home, the country was put into lockdown. So we were in lockdown for 10 weeks or so. So it was... It was, it was really strange, yeah. I've never seen the airport so quiet. Flights were quiet. It was kind of spooky almost. Here at home, it became clear that Kirby was facing a scary reality of his own. The athletics department was approaching an inevitable financial crisis. Here are a few things to think about when it comes to college athletics. Football is the economic engine that fuels everything. So let's talk about Texas Tech football for some perspective. Football generates between 75 and 85% of all revenue for the athletics department. If you sell out Jones AT&T Stadium, seating around 60,000 people for every home game in a given season, you're looking at generating between 30 and $40 million. That does not include TV and sponsorship revenue. It was reported in the Avalanche Journal in April of 2020 that there would be an estimated six to $8 million cut to the athletics department's operating budget. That was assuming the football team would compete in 12 regular season games. That, that number was accurate at the time. What happened is we ended up having 10 football games, not 12, at 25% uh, capacity. Um, so what we had projected to be, you know, possibly a 6 to $8 million revenue loss ended up... It ended up being a lot more than that, more than any of them expected. It was around 20 to $25 million actually. Think of this more as a decrease to revenue from the previous year. Kirby would have to make some cuts to the salaries and the staff. You, you think about it 24-7. Um, you, again, you wait for as long as possible. Reducing salaries and positions was the absolute last measure that uh, we wanted to take. There were 21 people within the athletics department who lost their jobs. And if I could be candid with you for just a second, Many of them I knew well. Some of them had families to support, or families they were starting. These were people who were good at their jobs, who were valuable in the workplace. And that made this decision even harder. But this didn't happen just at Texas Tech. 
This reality played out in athletics departments across the country. It reflected the truth of the financial crisis surrounding COVID. We as a profession in intercollegiate athletics provide more scholarship opportunities uh, in this country of anything outside of the GI Bill. Uh, and so without the revenue that's generated from the sport of football, you, you don't have the resources and the revenue to provide educational opportunities, to provide jobs. To as far as student athletes go, none lost their scholarships. The NCAA would announce their decision to give that year of eligibility back to those student athletes. It was an exception year. It was the right thing to do, but it was complicated. Well, the biggest challenge, and I'm thankful I don't have to necessarily deal with it directly, is, is, is trying to find scholarship money for these kids to return. Rosters are typically a set number. Each sport has a number of scholarships and spots available. So when you expand a roster size, increasing the number of athletes, even for just a year, you require a bigger budget, creating even more financial stress. Actually, Kirby explains this pretty well. Let's just talk about men's basketball. So in men's basketball, you can have 13 scholarships. So if you had two seniors that were affected by the pandemic and got that extra year of eligibility, uh, next year that we could be at 15 scholarships for men's basketball. Um, but this coming year... Meaning the fall of 21, the spring of 22. Um, the NCAA has taken the uh, roster exemption off of the table. So you can provide them with that additional year of eligibility, but the NCAA's got saying you have to be back to 13 scholarships in men's basketball, which creates some very challenging conversations for our coaches. It was like the NCAA washed their hands. Sandy and Kaylee were among other Texas Tech student athletes that returned to compete following the COVID year. Kaylee kept training from the time that the season was canceled until teams came back in August of 2020. She was getting back in shape for the indoor season, but one week from the start of fall camp, she broke her foot. She was lifting in the weight room and the bar slipped. It caused two compound fractures. I don't tell you this part to make Kaylee a victim of bad circumstance or anything else. She doesn't see herself like that. She was persistent in her rehab and recovery. And when April came around, she'd worked herself back into shape. I know at the beginning of the season and the thought that had really been haunting my mind while my foot was broken and I was in a cast was, every meet has to count because this is my last year. One day at practice after a meet, um, I just looked flustered. I know I did and Coach Kitley was like, are you doing okay? And I said, yes, I'm just frustrated. I haven't PR'd anything in for three years now and I just want to make y'all proud. And he looked at me and said, there's nothing you can do to earn that. You've already made me proud. I believe in you and I love you. Just go have fun. And as soon as I let that go, I just started having fun and things just started going up. I scored my second highest heptathlon I've ever scored. That newfound freedom was everything. She also qualified for outdoor nationals in 2021, finished 15th. It is remarkable to come back from nearly a year of not competing and do what she did in the amount of time that she did it. She graduated last May with her master's and got engaged. She'll move on from this place with a lot of experiences that define her. But few things matter more than the relationships. In some ways, that advice from her head coach after a rough practice, it changed her. In a time when we weren't able to watch sports in real life, the pandemic brought global exposure for Sandy Scott. In September, six months after the start of the global pandemic, he reached a new height. 
I think I found out when I was home in, in mid-July that it was, you know, all based off the world rankings, top seven amateurs got to go in. He's talking about the U.S. Open. Did you hear that? Only the top seven amateurs in the world qualify, and he was one of them. Sandy is the first active Red Raider golfer to compete in this prestigious tournament. It, was, it felt really natural just to ask Coach Sands to, to go with me because he'd been such a role model for me here at Texas Tech, and he'd helped me so much. It was almost comfortable, you know, made it more comfortable for me just to have somebody there. Greg Sands went from coach to caddy. Being able to compete in the Open was a lot of things for Sandy. It was experience against the world's best, an opportunity to put on a show. But it also provided some closure. The abrupt ending of his senior season changed all of his plans. But this tournament, this was a look past the NCAA, a look into his professional future. Ultimately, that ended my college career, obviously not knowing that I would get a year back. This end of, of my college golf, um, that's the end of amateur golf, I thought, because I thought I was going to be turning professional after that year. I wanted to do more in college golf, especially for Texas Tech. He's not done here yet, though. When this podcast is released, he'll be back competing for his team and Coach Sands. He has unfinished business, and the rest of us get to watch while his team fights for it. Something good came from the pandemic for Sandy, and that was true for Brooke as well. In season, there is not a single day off. My friends are like, well, you can't make this? Like, don't you have vacation? I was like, I have plenty of vacation time. I just cannot take it right now. Like, I can't just take a weekend off. Like, we have five games that weekend, so. Working in college athletics is filled with daily challenges. It's organized chaos. Responsibilities hardly subside, even in the off season. It's a lifestyle, and it's one that she's committed to. After she and the team got back from Hawaii, she spent the first 14 days in self-isolation, then drove the 10 hours back home to Louisiana. She stayed with her parents, spent every day with them, got to see her brother and his wife. It was the longest time that she'd seen her loved ones in years since she lived at home in high school. She stayed there for four months, got into a routine, watched some shows, like the rest of us, I'm sure, did a little reading. Not a lot, but some. Oh, I did read. I got very interested in, I don't know if you, y'all have heard of it, the Enneagram? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I read a book on that. Um, Carly actually got me into it. That's Carly Hamilton. She just graduated. And so she had me take it. And I had a two, and I was like, what number are you? She's like, I'm a two. And I'm like, I'm not a two. <laughs> me and you are not. <laughs> I was like, I, I must have answered the questions wrong. She's a one, actually. And it makes perfect sense why she's so good at her job. Ones are neat and organized. A perfectionist, some would say. I'm definitely not a one, just for the record. <laughs> but after all that time away, she missed it. She missed her friends on staff, their trainer, Jenna. She missed the players. I think just being around them. Like, I notice I'm like, I'm happier around them. It's fun for me to come to work and see them pass my office and little antics that they have and different things. So they're just fun to be around. Kind of so, like yourself again. I like myself again. Yep. Coach Rob and his wife had their second child in April of 2020, a baby boy. He calls him their pandemic, pandemic baby. baby. You know, so I'm at the hospital. I'm like, okay, how safe is this? How safe is that? And so, so we, we went, I went from March to April with, and I gained a whole new level of stress doing dad duties at the same time. And, and obviously stressing over every little thing, like 
packages would come to the house. We're spraying them down. Nothing comes in the house. You know, okay, we've got a one-month, two-month-old in, in the house. And so it was just, like, really overprotective. The kid probably never saw sunlight until he was four months old. But <laughs> In November of 2020, Mark Adams welcomed his first grandchild. His daughter lives in Midland with her husband. Yeah, you know, I never had, had dreamed, uh, Taylor, that I wouldn't be there, uh, you know, to, to, for the birth of my grandson. But you know, I was, we're going down there. And then I said, no, you, you can't go down there. They're not going to let you in the house. I said, well, what floor are they on? Can I look through, you know, do I need a ladder? Can I, you know, can I, can I look through the window or something to see my baby, my grandbaby? But uh, He wasn't able to hold his grandson for about a week after he was born. But Coach Adams will tell you it was worth the wait. All of his family will be in the stands this season to watch him lead the Red Raiders on the floor for the first time as head coach. Goosebumps just thinking about that because I've always, it's always been my dream to be able to lead this basketball program. But, but there's a lot of responsibility and burden that goes with it. And there's a lot of people counting on me. A lot of, uh, a lot of hardworking people out here. This is, these are tough people out here and I think they'll appreciate a team that uh, puts on their hard hat and brings the lunch pail and goes to work and, and plays hard and we do it together. Kirby wanted to protect his family during the pandemic, just like Coach Rob and Coach Adams. His oldest son graduated from Friendship High School in 2020, went on to play football at Angelo State. His first year in college wasn't anything like he'd prepared for. In college athletics and in sports in general, you, you have to be resilient. You know, if, you, if you've played long enough, you're gonna experience defeat. You're gonna come up on the short end and you learn to be resilient. You learn to learn from that day and adjust and move forward the next day and be stronger. Next time on Fearless. Epidemiologists have been warning us, right, for centuries now that this was going to happen. I, I felt like I was falling and trying to grab onto something. I felt like I was drowning. One, one of the things that stood out to me was even, even through the pandemic, life went on. More than anything, the, the theme that emerged for me out of COVID is yes, we can. We, we did it. We didn't just do it, we did it well. Fearless is produced by the Texas Tech Office of Communications and Marketing. It's hosted by me, Taylor Peters, with special help from Allison Hearth. Fearless is a Texas Tech production. From here, it's possible. Hey everyone, it's Taylor. Thank you so much for listening to Fearless. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.